I'm going to read one verse of Scripture. We're going to be dealing with more than this, but uh, so don't, don't fear that I'm going to be taking a verse out of context. But hope, hopefully we'll clarify something about this particular verse and then bring out something that um, I think is very important that, that we know. In the day that we live, uh, I believe there's a truth that's taught here that uh, has been neglected at best and forgotten, uh, perhaps even, by many, many folks, and including Christians. And uh, I want to take a few moments this morning to try to remind us of some things and how God views some things. And um, we'll see how, how God directs here this morning. Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 26. Ephesians 4 and verse number 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Father, I pray that you would bless uh, the message this morning. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct. And Lord, I understand and know that we need your assistance, your help this morning to illuminate this truth, bring it to light in our hearts and our minds. And then, Father, I pray that you would help us to be yielded in such a way that we are willing to be obedient to the things that your word says. Lord, it matters very little what I as a pastor say or any of our people or any of our deacons or Sunday school teachers. Lord, what matters greatly this morning is what does your word say. And then, Father, as we look at that, I pray that you would help us to be yielded to it, to take heed to it, to incorporate it and put it into practice in our lives. So, Father, would you give us this grace this morning to be able to do these things. May your Holy Spirit have free reign and free course. May there be nothing here this morning that would be a hindrance or a grievance to Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've heard a lot of preachers over the years that have preached on this particular verse. I've heard it taught very clearly that... uh, and a lot of times it's used in maybe couples' retreats or uh, men's retreats or things like this, that this verse is speaking about not letting the sun go down upon our wrath and uh, that we, before the day is over, need to go to whoever we have a problem with and make it right. And while I do believe that that principle is a good principle, uh, to be followed. I don't know that that's what this particular verse is teaching. And the reason I say that is because of the context that we find the verse sitting in. It's in the middle of a chapter that's dealing with our former conversation and our new conversation, our new life. The old man and the new man. The old nature and the new nature. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. There was a day before we got saved that we lived what the Bible referred to under the law of sin and death. We lived after our own will and after our own desires. In fact, the book of James speaks of that a little bit. We'll be looking at that in a little bit. Little bit. When we get saved, the Bible says that we are quickened, we're made alive. There's something that is now born new inside of us. The Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell us and live inside of us. And when that moment happens, all of a sudden, some of the appetites and things that we desire begin to change. I've shared the story years ago of a friend of mine, uh, Brian Maloney, 
had his daughter in our school, and they came to visit one day at our church, and I went by to visit him on a Thursday night, he and his wife. His wife had been saved years ago when she was a young child, and Brian had been raised in a home where both of his parents had uh, been deaf, and so any churches that he went to as a kid were deaf churches. They did sign language. And he said, you know, like any other kid who is their attention is distracted, uh, they, don't, they don't sit there, they don't have the patience to sit there and watch somebody sign a message. He said, I never really listened or paid attention in church. He was 40-some years old, I think 41, 42 years old at the time. I sat in his living room and began to talk to him about the things of the Lord and asked him if he was saved. And he said, well, I hope I'll go to heaven when I die. <coughs> and I asked him what he was counting on for that, and he said he hoped he lived good enough life that God would let him into heaven. I began to show him some things from Scripture, that it's not about our good works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He said it wasn't about church membership. It wasn't about being baptized. It wasn't about the family that you were born into or grew up in. Salvation was a decision that every person had to make to trust the Lord Jesus Christ once and for all. That they put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. We began to talk about Christ coming to this earth. I said, do you know the Christmas story? He said, yes, I do. I said, you realize that was the Lord Jesus Christ? That was God's Son that came to earth? He said, yes, I understand that. I said, Brian, do you know why Jesus came to this earth? He said, no, sir. I said, he came to die on a cross to pay for your sins. And boy, you could see his eyes get big. The light bulb turned on. I'll never forget him. He said, so that's why he came. Forty-one years this man had heard the story of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Christmas story. And for 41 years he did not know why Christ came. Can I tell you, if you don't know this morning why Christ came to this earth, let me tell you, it was to save you from your sins. It was to die as a sacrifice in your place to pay the payment for the sin that you had committed so that you would not have to pay it. He gave deliverance. He gave freedom. And all we have to do is put our faith and trust in Him. That night, after about an hour, an hour and a half or so of talking with Brian, he bowed his head and put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He began to come to church. He got baptized, which is a step of obedience once you get saved. It's not something that makes you more saved or part of salvation. He began to come to church. A few weeks later, a few about a month or so, maybe six weeks later, he came to shake hands with me after the service. I was standing in the back. He said, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. He said, I, he was a roofer by trade. He owned his own business, a roofing contractor. He said, I was up on the roof this week, and he showed me his thumb, and boy, it was all bandaged up, black and blue, and he said, I hit the wrong nail with my hammer. <laughs> and uh, he said, that that's not the amazing thing. He said, the amazing thing was, after I hit my thumb, he said, all the guys that were on the roof stopped working and looked at me funny. He said, I looked at him and said, what? What's going on? They said, what's wrong with you? He said, what do you mean? They said, you weren't cussing like you normally do. They said, normally you'd throw that hammer and start swearing up and down that you'd hurt your finger. He said, Pastor, I didn't even realize it. There was something new inside of him. Something that was causing him to be more Christ-like. It's interesting to see a 
as there was something new that had happened in his heart. Can I tell you this, that salvation is not about how you act. It's about your faith. Your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The cleaning up of our life, that's something that happens afterwards. I heard Brother Randy, our, our former pastor, say this before. He, he's an avid fisherman. He loves to fish, kind of like Brother Jim back here. He said, I've never yet caught a fish that was already cleaned. He said, you catch them first, then they clean. It's amazing to me how oftentimes people say, I don't want to get saved because I think I'd have to give up too much. Oh, but they're missing so much. They're missing so much. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new, and there's something new that's inside of us. But that's not the end of the Christian life. The rest of our Christian life is spent in a battle, in a war, if you will, a tug of war, uh, between the old nature and the old man that still is there, and the new man, the new nature. The Holy Spirit of God that lives and, and breathes inside of us and directs us and guides us. There's a constant struggle in the Christian life. And really, if you want to boil the whole Christian life down into one struggle, it's this. My will or God's will. And then one of the two is going to happen. I'm either going to have my way or I'm going to have, uh, follow His way. And if we could really boil the, 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 the Christian life down into one little simple thing, to have a victorious Christian life, it's that one decision. Today, when I woke up, I had a choice. Am I going to have my will today or am I going to follow God's will today? As I got ready this morning, as I got breakfast this morning, as I began to move and go through my day, more and more I have had choices where I have said, it's either going to be my will or it's going to be God's will. And that's the battle that we face. When we come to Ephesians chapter number 4, we find that this is the struggle that the Apostle Paul is dealing with. He's speaking here, if you look with me, in verse number 22. Uh, he says that if you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind... And that you put on the new man, which is after God, created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Can I submit to you this morning that verse number 26 many times has been misread and misunderstood. We find in the first part of this a command that God gives to us. And that is that we are to be angry. To be angry. Oftentimes we speak about having control of our temper. And so if God commands us to be angry, then it has to be in such a way that it is not sinful. For God would never command us to sin. But he tells us that we are to be angry. And then He gives us another command. He says, and sin not Can I submit to you this morning that the anger that Paul is speaking of here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is an anger that we are to have toward sin. We're to be angry at sin. We're to excuse sin. We're to hate sin. We're to detest sin. It's supposed to be something that we don't coddle and that we don't embrace and that we don't try to justify for our own pleasure and for our own uh, 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 time of, uh, of uh, enjoying the season of pleasure that comes with sin. 
But sin becomes something that we get angry over. I remember a number of years ago, I was out west in Hot Springs, Arkansas for a conference. And as I was getting ready to leave, the office called me back at church, told me of a situation with a young man at our church. They had fallen into sin, had messed his life up. I remember weeping much of the way home as I drove. I began to pray and say, Lord, help, help through this situation. I don't know what's going to come of it. But as I began to think about this, I began to get so angry at Satan. And I told God, I said, God, why is it that we have to go through all of these things? I began to get angry at Satan, get mad at him for what he had done in this young man's life, the fact that he had uh, attempted him. I said, Lord, I'll be so glad we get to heaven. We don't have to worry about those temptations anymore. We don't have to worry about those sins anymore. I began to get angry at Satan. I'll never forget. And I thought, boy, by the time I got home, I had a several, quite, probably about a 28, 29-hour drive to get home. By the time I got home, I was so wound up and ready to, I mean, I was ready to just start preaching and, and I was going to pull a bunch of these young people together and knock their heads together and say, listen, you all just pay attention here. Here's what God has said. Let's make sure we stay clear of these things that Satan is going to throw into our path. And it caused me to be motivated to preach more to them and to encourage them more into doing what was right. And I believe this is the idea that Paul has here as he gets to this. He says, we're to put on the new man. We're to get rid of the old man. He says, now listen, if we're not careful, this old man is going to get victory. And so what we need to do is we need to be angry toward it. We need to have some anger for it, and don't sin. Sin not. And then notice what he says here. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now, I, I, I've heard it preached, and I've heard it taught, that this means that when we do get angry at somebody, which I don't think is what this is talking about here, that we're to go to them before the sun goes down and make it right. I don't think at all that this is what it's talking about here. In fact, if we think about just that phrase, let not the sun go down. Is there anything else in Scripture that we can think of where we see a request, something along these lines? Anybody think of anything like that? Hold your place here for a moment. Turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter number 10. Joshua, chapter number 10. Joshua, chapter number 10. Look with me in verse number 12, if you will. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of, the heaven, of heaven and hasted not to go down upon a, about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Joshua said, listen, uh, we're battling, we're winning, but Lord, we don't have enough daylight left to continue the battle to finish it up. So he told the Lord, he said, Lord, would you let the sun and the moon stand still? Don't let the sun go down. We're battling here. We're in a war. And we don't want to lose this war. And we don't want to let the enemy get away. 
We want to make sure that we're diligent, that we put our hand to the fight, and that we stay after it. The Bible says that there's never been a day like it before. There's never been a day like it since that God hearkened to the voice of man. But the sun and the moon stood still, the Bible says, for about a day. Can I tell you this, as we think of that and we come back to Ephesians chapter number 4, I believe what Paul is dealing with here is that we never give up the fight. We don't let the sun go down on it. We get angry at our sin and we stay angry at our sin. I believe one of the great problems we face in America today is that we have gotten too accustomed to our sin. Within the context of the passage that we're looking at, the fact that Paul is referring here to the battle, the struggle that goes on in a Christian's life between the former man and the new man. He goes on to say as he gets to the end of verse number 26, the, the verse is not ended there, but there's a colon there, and we continue on with neither give place to the devil. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Don't even give place to the devil. Make sure that there is a holy anger against our own sin. I've said it so often before, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the smallest sins there are, are the sins that we have. And the biggest sins that there are, are the sins that everybody else has. You ever thought of that? We, we are really quick to get angry at the sin that's in other people's lives. Have you noticed? It's very simple if we're not careful to be judgmental of somebody else's sin. And the truth of the matter is this, I need to look at my heart. The psalmist said, search my heart, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. Oh, that we would pray as the psalmist did. Lord, search my heart. Can I tell you this? Every time we pray that prayer, God will make it apparent. There's never a time that a Christian prays and says, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me that God does not make very apparent the things that need to be fixed. The things that are contrary to His Word. I want to give you three things this morning and we'll be done. I want, you to, I want to give you the way that different people, different folks look at sin. The first one is the way that a natural man or an unsaved man looks at sin. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse number 14, "...but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their, uh, neither can, uh, uh, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned." This natural man, how does he view sin? Well, we see several places that the Bible talks about this, and we're not going to give you all of them, but I'll give you several of them this morning. And I think we'll get the idea, at least, from the verses that we'll look at. But you'll find this throughout Scripture. Look with me, if you will, in the book of Proverbs, chapter number 14. Proverbs, chapter number 14. How does a natural man, how does an unsaved man see sin? How does he view sin? Proverbs chapter number 14, if you will, verse number 12. There is a way which, what are the next two words there? Seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of what? Death. You know how a natural man sees sin? He sees it as right. The Bible says, Woe unto them that calleth evil good and good evil. We're living in a day where there is so much evil going on and people saying this is the right thing to do. And then there's so much good that's being downplayed and saying that this is an evil thing. 
We're living in a day where it's okay to kill and murder an innocent baby. And people say, yes, that's all right. But to say that I believe in God or have the Ten Commandments in a public school or in a public place is against the law. Something's not right there. That's a natural man's view of sin. It seems right to him. But the end thereof are the ways of death. In Proverbs chapter number 16 and verse number 25, you'll find the same verse again. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Look with me in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 9, just back a few verses from where we were. The Bible says this, Fools make a what? Mock at sin. They make a mock at sin. They laugh at it. They say, oh, no, there's nothing all that bad about it. In Psalm 1, in verse number 1, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And can I tell you there, we find a progression or a digression, if you will, of the ungodly man who if he does not continue or if he continues in his way and does not repent of that way will turn into a sinner a person who's actively involved in doing sin and if we continue in our way as a sinner and we do not make any kind of uh, a correction or any kind of uh, change in direction it's not long before we become what the bible refers to as a scorner where not only are we doing the sin but we're doing it with an attitude toward god we're doing it with no conscience that is left in Romans chapter number 1, the Bible speaks of the fact that there will come a time where there will be some that will have no conscience of these things. The Bible, will call, the Bible calls them reprobate. They have no pricking of the heart. And can I tell you this, that the natural man begins to view sin and sees nothing wrong with it. It seems right to them. Well, there's nothing all that bad about it. I don't see where it's going to harm anything, and that's the natural man's view of sin. Can I tell you this? That's not at all what Ephesians 4 is talking about, is it? When it refers to our idea of sin being something that we are angry at, that, we're, that we detest, that we don't like. That's the way a natural man looks at sin. He justifies it. He excuses it. He laughs at it. Years ago, when I was a kid, the idea of I'm going to try to be very careful here. But the idea of homosexuality was taboo. It was something that nobody talked about. Nobody, it certainly wasn't acceptable. I remember as a young, uh, upper years and teen years or early 20s, I believe it was, that I was watching a television show and they began to make jokes on the television set about homosexuality. And I remember thinking then, it's not going to be long before this is an acceptable way of life. Because we're beginning to mock it. We're beginning to make jest of it, make light of it. There needs to be some anger by God's people against our sin. We don't justify our sin. We don't coddle our sin. We don't find some way to make it acceptable in our sight. We get on our faces before God and say, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And Lord, when it's there, help me to have an anger towards it. Look with me, if you will, in Job chapter number 1. I want us to look at 
how a righteous man, a saved man, views sin. Someone who has the righteousness of God in them. Job chapter number 1, I think is a great, great testimony. Probably one of the greatest statements, I think, that can be made of a man. Job chapter number 1. If you will, look with me in verse number 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God. And what's the next three words here? Escheweth evil. Escheweth evil. He hates it. He detests it. He despises it. It's something that he looks at. And I'll tell you this, that when I sin against God, if I don't feel mortified by that fact that I have sinned against God, then there's something wrong in my heart. If I don't, if I don't look for the chastening and the pricking of God in my heart when I sin, then I need to come to God and say, Lord, help me to have a conscience again. Help me to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit again. Because there needs to be a correcting in there, in a righteous man's heart, in a Christian's heart. There needs to be some anger against the sin. There needs to be some mortification of that sin. There needs to be a despising of that sin. If we use the Bible word here, we need to eschew sin. It needs to be something that we look at and we detest and we say, I can't stand it in my life. It's broken my fellowship with my precious Savior. It's caused me to grieve the Holy Spirit in my life. The, the one that has done so much for me, that has loved me so much, and I have done this to Him? Oh, I hate it. There ought to come a time in every Christian's life where when we sin, it's not something that we gloat in, it's not something that we enjoy, but it is something that brings great heartache to us. Look with me, if you will, in Romans chapter number 7. Romans chapter number 7. Let's start in verse number... Uh, well, let's back... I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, let's go back to verse number 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would... That do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Paul was speaking here of his weakness in the flesh. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. This is the thing he's, he's hating, that he's angry at. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth some good thing, a lot of good thing, a little bit of good thing. What does it say? In my flesh dwelleth what? No good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. He says, my desire to do good, that's what he's saying there. He said, I have a hard time finding out how to do that. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, what's the next word? 
wretched man that I am. This is how a Christian views sin. This is a Christian that is saying, oh, this battle that's going on, I hate it. I hate it because this this nature that's in me that keeps pulling me towards sin. He said, oh, I hate that. And he said, I find out that oftentimes I do it. Oh, wretched man that I am. This is the attitude of a Christian towards sin. Oh, that we would be mortified by our sin. That we would detest it. That there would be a holy anger against it. By the way, our world could do with a healthy dose of this, couldn't it? To be angry at sin. To call sin, sin once again. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body? From the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. How does a natural man view sin? He makes fun of it. He thinks it's right. He doesn't see anything wrong with it. His conscience is seared. How does a spiritual man, how does a righteous man view it? He detests it. He eschews it. He hates it. I want you to notice lastly, how does God view it? How does God view it? Look with me, if you will, in Genesis chapter number 3. God begins this whole of creation by expressing His opinion, His, his desire, of, or his, his reaction to sin. Genesis chapter number 3. If you will, look with me in verse number 3. Let's back up verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, if God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden, every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye what? Die? I mean, I've gotten in trouble with my mom and dad before, and I've gotten whippings, and I've gotten grounded, but they've never killed me for it. Can I tell you this? God's view of sin? Pretty serious, isn't it? Pretty serious. That when God says, when you defy my law, you're going to die from it. By the way, Let's go back to Proverbs 14 for a minute. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of what? Sickness, discouragement, poverty. The end thereof are the ways of what? Death. Go to Romans chapter number 6 for a moment. How does God view sin? Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 23. For the wages of sin is death. God has a pretty stern view of sin, doesn't He? In fact, so much so that He cannot allow sin of any kind into heaven. If God cannot allow sin of any kind into heaven, that kind of throws out the whole if my good outweighs my bad argument, doesn't it? Because there's bad that would have to come with you. Can I encourage you in this? Be angry and sin not. And let not the sun go down upon your wrath. 
when it comes to our sin, we need to have a godly, biblical, spiritual reception, uh, perception. We need to have a hatred toward it. We need to have a wrath toward it. We need to, if we don't have that kind of an attitude towards our sin, then we need to get on our faces before God and say, God, help me to see it the way that you see it. Can I tell you this? My sin was so bad and so wicked that it cost the life of my precious Savior. That's how bad my sin was. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. I'm thankful that He has given us deliverance from this, aren't you? In Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23, He says, For the wages of sin is death, but... Boy, aren't we glad for that. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why Jesus came to this earth. To deliver us from sin. And I'm so glad that He did. Can we as God's people have a renewed view of sin? Can we start 2021 with a view of sin saying, I don't want it to have a part in my life. Oh, I hate it. When I sin, it bothers me. When I sin, it causes me to be mortified. It causes my spirit to be quenched. I have a heartache in my heart that I have displeased God. May God deliver us from sin. May God help us to live more holy and righteous and godly. You say, Pastor, am I ever going to be able to be perfect? No. No. But we better keep a right attitude toward our sin. It's a dangerous place when we get to the point where we become accepting of our sin. Where we just kind of sweep it off into a corner somewhere and we don't ever deal with it. We don't ever bother with it. Can I tell you this? The psalmist said, my sin is ever before me. Something I'm reminded of often. May we have a proper view of sin. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for your word. And Lord, while your sin, the sin, our sin is so wicked and ungodly and certainly is something that you detest and something that we should hate, Lord, I'm thankful that you paid a price and made a way for us to be delivered from it. I'm thankful that I don't have to go to my just reward. I've been given grace. I've been given mercy. Lord, in the days that you give me left upon this earth to live my life, I pray that You would help me to never lose the hatred, the disappointment, the mortification of my heart and my spirit when I sin. Father, may it be ever before us. May we always see our sin. And may we have the proper attitude toward it. Lord, may we get in, not get in a society that is so accepting of evil and so unaccepting of good that we begin to be changed by it. That our hearts and our minds begin to excuse sin. Lord, may it be said of us as it was said of Job. A perfect man, one that escheweth evil. Lord, I pray that you would bless in the invitation time and speak to hearts. Father, it's my prayer if there's someone in this room today that does not know without any doubt in their minds, that if they were to die, that they would go to heaven. They don't know that they've ever trusted you as their Savior. They've relied on a lot of things maybe to get to heaven. Maybe their good works. Maybe their baptism. Maybe their church membership. 
Father, may they today learn that they only need to put their trust in You. If they've never done that before, I pray that they would do that today. For Christians that are here, I pray that You'd help us to have a refreshed and corrected view of sin. Lord, may we start off this year with the right attitude toward it. Learn these things. It will be such a help to us. We pray that you'll bless in the invitation. Use it as you would see fit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, we'll have Miss Evelyn play through a verse or two of invitation. If God's spoken to your heart, would you come? If you're here this morning, you don't know if you're saved, you don't know if you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven, would you come? We'll take the Bible and show you how you can know. You can pray today and put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian friend, do we have the right view of sin? had several come. Perhaps others would come. We'll have just one more verse of imitation. If God's spoken to you, would you come? Fathers, we dismiss in prayer. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, for bringing these folks here. Lord, what a joy it's been to be around them and to have the time of fellowship around your word and the singing and the uh, friendship and, and family atmosphere that we have here. We pray that you'll dismiss us with your blessings, with the messages upon our hearts. And Lord, may we not just be hearers only, but may we put them into practice, the things that we've learned, the truths that we've learned. Lord, may we not let the sun go down upon our wrath. When it comes to our sin, may it be ever before us. May it be a constant reminder of how uh, serious of a matter it is. And so, Father, help to direct our steps. Help us to live this week in such a way that we bring honor and glory to you. 
Dismiss us with your blessings. And Lord, give us safety as we travel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.